talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Thursday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. Doug Lamarie, Stanley Barrett, Stephen Means. We're going to tell you about Pro Day, which we were at on Wednesday inside the Woody Hayes Athletic Center on the campus of The Ohio State University, surrounded by basically the entire NFL. There were so many NFL people there, and I just want to convey that to everybody out in Buckeye Talk land. And I, and I had multiple conversations with people around Ohio State about this. That, And I've been in a million pro days over the years, and Bill Belichick's been in there, right? Hanging out. Oh, Bill Belichick and Urban Meyer hanging out together. Stuff like that. But there's pro days all over the place. Bama's is on Thursday. Most of the people who are in the Woody on Wednesday are going to be in Tuscaloosa, Alabama on Thursday. But I just don't think you should like let it go by and take it for granted. And so I was I was talking with Ohio State people about that, that yes, we can sometimes be like, yes, Ohio State. But it's like the parking lot was jammed at the Woody. You know why there was nowhere to park? Because like Mike Tomlin was taking up parking spots and Frank Reich and the owner of the Panthers were taking up parking spots. And Pete Carroll was taking up a parking spot, Nathan. And like, that's Pete, crazy. No, he, well, he, he was not taking up a parking spot at the Woody. He was taking up a parking spot at, um, over by Cavelli where I had to park because as he was coming over, he almost walked in front of my car. I almost killed a Super Bowl winning head coach today. Well, there you go. Well, that's what he gets for not handing the ball to Marshawn Lynch. Right. I mean, he made his own bet. I mean, so, yeah. so I don't, you know, again, I, I've, I've been in a bunch of these. You guys haven't been as quite as many. I don't know, Stephen. Does it does it does it strike you? You look out and you're like, um, oh, well, there's like eight NFL GMs over there, and there's 120 NFL personnel people. Or is it just? Of course it is because it's the Buckeyes. Um, I guess this one was a little crazier because a quarterback is involved being there last year when it's. I don't want to say just the wide receivers. I mean, I love wide receivers. Who loves wide receivers more than I do other than Brian Hartline? But because it's the quarterback who might be the number one pick in the NFL draft, it probably adds a little bit of magnitude that I had never seen before because we didn't get to see it with Justin Fields because they didn't let us in yet because we were still dealing with COVID. So maybe a little bit more, like you're seeing CJ talk to different head coaches, like, oh, who's that old guy talking with CJ? So, oh, it's Pete Carroll. Okay, never mind. That's actually a pretty big deal who he's talking to. But not, I don't know if I wasn't expecting that, given what's happened just with some of the movement no, in the NFL yeah. draft. I mean, it's not about expecting. It's about, it's about in the moment just being like the NFL is like the most popular thing in America. Yeah. And the NFL descended on the place where on Thursday we're going to interview Carson Hinsman. It's like we just go to work there. We just walk in. It's like, hey, what are you guys doing today? It's like we're just going to have a, yeah, be a card. It's going to be a card table over here, and Josh Fryer is going to be at it, and we're going to ask him about trying to be the left tackle. But forty-eight hour, twenty-four hours previous to that, like Mike Tomlin was standing right there. There, like you know, CJ Stroud was talking to Pete Carroll, like as things were getting going. And then Dan Quinn, who's the defensive coordinator of the Cowboys, came over, former head coach in Atlanta, and then they were all talking. Then Jackson Smith and Jigba came over. And it was like Dan Quinn, Pete Carroll, Jackson Smith and Jigba, and CJ Stroud just kind of hanging out. And it's like, you know, I was watching. It's like Ryan Day is standing there while CJ Stroud's throwing, and he's standing between Pete Carroll and Mike Vrabel. There were some guys in front of us. There's kind of like a, kind of like a bigger dude with a baseball cap on that. He was his back was to us. I was like, I'm pretty sure that's Brian Dayball, the head coach of the New York Giants, and he was standing there with Joe Shine, 
mm-hmm. who's the GM of the Giants. And Brian Hartline came over to like say hey to Brian Dayball. Then right next to him was Brandon Beam, who's the GM of the Bills. And they're just hanging out. Joe Shine and Brian Dable had to leave because they had to do a FaceTime. They were like FaceTiming somebody outside on the outdoor field while CJ was like finishing up throwing because they got some kind of call. I don't know what they were doing. They might have been like, Trade. I don't know. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know. Did they, did, anybody, did they trade Saquon Barkley today? If they did, they did it during CJ Stroud's workout. They didn't. But I'm just saying, like, it's, 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 it's going to happen the same thing at Bama, but it happens. And then at the end of it, Marvin Harrison Sr. and Marvin Harrison Jr. were doing simultaneous little huddle news conferences on the field. And, and Jr.'s like, was bigger. That's what's really like, weird about it. Yeah, but of course, I mean, but it's a sideshow. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, that's not, it's like, oh, you're the past and the future, but like right now we're here to deal with the guys on the field. So yeah. I just wanted us all, I'm very much, I just, I had, and then I went to women's basketball interviews today and Kevin McGuff, the women's basketball coach was like, hey, how was pro day? And like, and then I, I was having like, I had, the, I podcasted at Kevin McGuff for 90 seconds about like, you know, people should really appreciate when things like this happen because the women's basketball team is getting ready to fly to Seattle to play UConn. They're playing UConn. This is a program defining game for Ohio State women's basketball on Saturday. I said to him, I think it's like Bama in 2014. This is their version of that, right? That, that they made one Final Four, one national title game in 93 with Katie Smith. They haven't been back. They haven't been to the Elite Eight since then. So if the women's basketball team beats UConn on Saturday, I think it'll be arguably the second biggest win like in the history of the Ohio State women's basketball program behind the stuff in 93 that got in the national title game. But by the way, like, so what did they have to do? They had to bust it. They had to bust their butts to create that opportunity. And we were just, you know, a half an hour before that, we saw the fruits, Nathan, of guys busting it. CJ Stroud busting it. Jackson Smith and Jigben, Zach Harrison and Paris Johnson and Dewan Jones and Ronnie Hickman and Ryan Day in this program and Mark Pantone in this program and Mickey Marotti, who's on the mic leading everything at Pro Day and this program. All the things they do, those NFL guys don't show up because Ohio State's famous. They don't show up because Woody Hayes was the coach. They show up because there's talent there. And the process of creating that talent and developing that talent and drawing that talent to that building which then makes the rest of the NFL descend upon that building on a Wednesday in March. I just want to note it, Nathan. I just want to note it for the record because it doesn't automatically happen. It doesn't matter because of, it doesn't happen because a Buckeye leaves. It doesn't happen because Joey Bosa went there. It happens because time and time and time again, there are guys worth seeing. And this was as big of a pro day as probably they ever had because they might have the number one pick in the draft. But overall, Nathan, before we get to CJ, just like vibe, right? Lots of famous people there. Yeah, and it, the thing that I was kind of struck by, it feels very much like graduation day. Like even more so than the the combine in some ways because everything is so detached at the combine. But the way everything, you get to kind of mingle with everybody there, it feels like a very proper send-off with some guys who like, oh, like you don't belong here anymore. Like Luke Whipler, like, I mean, you'll always belong there. I guess you're always a Buckeye. But like you don't belong in the building anymore doing college football things. Like you have graduated to the NFL. And then you see like JT Tuomaloa walking through before they get started. And you're like, "Uh, it's just, here he goes. It's just a matter of time. And then Marvin Harrison, obviously, you're like, ah, that guy, 
he almost doesn't really belong here anymore. You should really appreciate the fact that everybody was super excited about him and you get to have him back on the field again this fall. But for the guys who really are leaving, there's just a different, they, they'd walk in a different way around the Woody today, I think, than they do the last time we see them in the Woody for like the media day before the Peach Bowl or whatever. It just, it feels different. I think Luke Whipler grew his hair out. He did. He didn't have to be aerodynamic for that 40 anymore. Yeah. Yeah. He's got some curls. He had some curls. He had like a headband on. I was like, oh, this is like Luke. This is like I'm free, Luke Whippler, out in the world. But it is, Stephen. You do notice two things happen. One is they don't have to like worry about going to class anymore and stuff. Like they're doing their They're thing real adults. They're, and, and so that's part of it. And then the other thing is it's like they now they're training. You want to be at your best. You work hard. But now all the things that you do are for money. <laughs> and so – like it's it is it is both a it is sort of the transformation like a like you're like oh these these boys have become men kind of things right oh that's just a, but also Stephen like they get ripped and cut and it's like oh have you been training ten hours a day and eating only exactly what your agent told you to do and you know what most guys don't do anymore they don't make sneaky canes runs when it's for money <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> When it's like, okay, we're, we're playing Maryland this week. I shouldn't go to Canes at 1130 at night, but come on, it'll be fine. So there is like sometimes there's like an actual transformation, Stephen, that is sort of emotional, but there's a physical transformation of like, oh yeah, oh yeah. Like these dudes are ready to go do this for money now. Yeah. And they're also like training to do these drills, some of which don't always translate on the football like Paris Johnson was doing a drill during the, his uh his workout session where he has to jump up in the air and then go into a pass set because of course there's going to be a Nick time where he's going up against Nick Bosa where Nick Bosa tries to go high and then comes back low but it's it's very you can tell they've been training to do this very thing and it's not always football stuff because they're trying to you know maximize their chance to run a 40 or do a, a three cone drill or a 20 yard shuttle or whatever else. And so it's a, it's none of these, it's, it's interesting. None of these guys are going to look the way they do right now. When it's actually time to time to play football again, because right now they're, they've been professional workout geniuses for two and a half months. And now they can actually start ready to, you know, prepare to play football again. If that makes sense. I did go over to talk to CJ to just say like, Hey man, like, I don't know when we'll see you again. Good luck. You know, thanks for everything. It's been a pleasure. And he's like, I'll be around. I'll be around. And it's like, CJ, no, mm, this is no. it. And he's like, ah, oh, you'll see me. It's like, it's see, it's this like, is goodbye. The spring game. Oh, we'll see him at the spring game for all of 15 seconds while we're worried about literally everything else in the world. But CJ, we're not going to see you again for a little bit, buddy. You basically just described the last scene of Superbad where uh, uh, CJ is like going off with NFL guys and you're like Jonah Hill, except instead of leaving with Emma Stone, you're just leaving with us. That is way worse. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it, it, uh, you know, it wasn't, I didn't cry CJ, but it's like good, but, and it's, 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 there's a part of this and we'll get into the information, you know, like the information is the information. I think we can have a, a, a little discussion like this because I don't know that anybody's like, oh, what did Jackson Smith, did Jackson Smith win a 4.4 what or a 4? We'll get to that. But again, it's just part when our, our loyal Buckeye Talk listeners and the people out there who care about this team. And I was saying this to our texters that like we get to know these guys a tiny, tiny, tiny bit. And so we hope to convey 
to the fans who care about this team a little bit about these guys from the little tiny morsels we get to get to know them. But there is, and I can remember thinking this when I first started on the beat, like Tim May would be like, oh yeah, Chris Carter. Hey, uh, I remember covering Chris Carter. And I was like, wouldn't that be crazy that you knew Chris Carter when Chris Carter was in college? And now here we are. And really we, uh, CJ, there's something about CJ. We've just, we've spent a lot of time, I think in CJ's head and trying to figure out what makes CJ tick. And now he might be the number one one pick in the draft, and everybody in the league was watching every move he made on Wednesday. And Stephen, there's just a part of me that sometimes that's hard to process because to me, and I hope to our listeners, uh, there's a chunk of this that's like, C.J. Stroud is just a guy. He's just a normal guy. He's just He's very talented. But like walking down the street, you can say hello to C.J. Stroud. You can have a conversation with him. He's just a normal person. And now he's going to go be this. And this, again, was a transition day. And I do think the combine, you're further away from it. It feels like you're behind a curtain a little bit. Pro day is like it's right there in front of you. And you can see the transition happening. When Pete Carroll's like, hey, CJ, hey, man, what's going on on Pete Carroll? And I don't know, Stephen. It just hits me sometimes of, you know, six months ago, it's like, hey, so Wednesday night, let's go talk to CJ Stroud. Maybe there'll be like 11 people around him by the end. And now yeah. the whole league is around him. Yeah, and I think it's interesting with him because this is the first time we've seen that with a day quarterback because we didn't really get a chance to know Justin Fields that well because half of the time that he was here, we were talking to him through a computer screen. So we didn't get a chance to build that same type of relationship, media player relationship with him the same way that maybe you did with Dwayne Haskins and JT Baird and Proxima before him. So that helps with it. But also CJ just really sucks at being a stereotypical quarterback when it comes to his personality, because yeah, you're right. If you're seeing him walk down the street, you can honestly go have a conversation with him and he will have a 20 minute conversation with you. It's he's not, He's not from this world, and so he doesn't act like it unless he's throwing a football, and then it's like, oh, he's really, really good at this. He might be the number one pick. Oh, yeah, he's super good at football, but he is just a normal kid from L.A. who talks like a kid from L.A. and acts like it. It's an interesting way to look at him in comparison to when you look at a lot of different other quarterbacks who are from that quarterback world and grew up in it. And at the end, so it's like they had this workout for a couple hours, and then it's just sort of you get released onto the field, and everybody's walking around, and it's family members, and it's media, and it's the the players and the team personnel from the NFL. So everybody's just chit-chatting all over the place. And we probably, it might have been 90 minutes after the workout ended, and somebody was like, CJ's still here? And it's like, yep, CJ was still there. Like, CJ was talking to every person who wanted to talk to him. There was a... Some kind of camera group following him around that feels like he's, maybe he had it's what's the so, overtime thing? Is he doing yeah, something? the overtime the overtime every year has been doing stuff with different draft prospects. Uh Garrett Wilson did it last year with them and CJ's doing it this year with it's just like a documentary. They go to different stages, they were at the combine. Some of the prospects they do it with stay in the at this house that they work out in down in Austin. I think it's Houston. I think he's down in that house with some people. But it's just a doc it's a follow a kid through the draft and it's usually top you know, first round draft picks as they do it with. And so far the Ohio state related guys, Garrett did it. And then Jamison Williams was with it last year. And so of course he just, he, him and Jackson Smith, the Jigba have been doing it a little bit longer though. Cause they did something in the preseason for overtime okay. that just didn't come out until the season was over. Okay. 
So like they were fumbling around, but it wasn't like he, CJ was only talking to them. He no, was, no, like, no, no. He was, was kind of like he was talking to everybody. He was just, and like everybody who was like, "Can I get five minutes? Can I get five minutes? Yeah. Can I get five minutes?" Like CJ's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." And then he came over and asked his mom if she had made ribs for him, and she said yes. And then he was super excited, you know, like a kid would be. Because he's still just a kid. It's like, oh, yeah, no, I went and ripped some throws in front of 10 head coaches. Mom, did you make ribs? Yay, it's ribs. No, just like just being a guy. Anyway, you you guys know how we talked about CJ Stroud over the years. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, like what actually happened? What mattered at Pro Day? Next on Buckeye Talk. All right, Doug Nathan and Steven back. The Panthers were there in force. The owners of the Panthers, the head coach, Frank Reich, the GM, Josh McCown, the quarterback's coach, so many people from Carolina. And while CJ was throwing Frank Reich, I I didn't ask him about this. Reich and McCown were both like taking cell phone photos of CJ. I was, I was like, it's like, what are you? It was like, they were at their kids third grade play. And they're like, I better get my phone out. Except it was CJ Stroud throwing footballs at pro day. So Nathan, once and CJ had a gaggle around him at the end, like talk about this. I know you have you put up a story immediately Wednesday afternoon at Cleveland.com about this. What did CJ say about the idea of, hey man, you might be the number one pick in the draft? And how did he feel like he did on Wednesday? Happy with how he performed. I think that was probably deserved. I thought he threw well, just as he did at the combine. Um, you know, and he's caught in one of those things where, on the one hand, uh, he knows what it means to be the number one pick in the draft. He wants to be the number one pick in the draft, but that's out of his control at this point. Even if you go out and perform your best, it's still out of your control. It's, there are a lot of evaluation points that go into this sort of thing. So I think the way that he is processing it is the healthy way, which is he doesn't feel a lot of pressure right now. He goes out and worries about the football things, and then the rest of it will take care of itself. But you you have to notice what the Panthers did. Like You have to notice that they traded up they, they spent a lot of resources to trade all the way up because they apparently think either you or Bryce Young is, is or I guess Anthony Richardson, but I think it's one of those two, is the guy that they'll take number one. And what that would mean for a franchise, the price that they've paid, and the fact that they sent all these people here. And uh, I think he said he had some kind of meeting with them on Tuesday, or maybe it was earlier on Wednesday, but there was a meeting earlier this I think, week. I think he said he had dinner with them last yeah. night. Tuesday night, Tuesday and night, Tuesday that, night, yeah. and it wasn't, it, yeah, it wasn't a lot of, um, said it wasn't a lot of football talk. It was a lot of more just like personal things. So you're trying to get a read on him as a person. And he's trying to make connections with them. I think he's sort of enjoying that part of the process a little bit, like, you know, feeling the feeling wanted, but also like wanting to, 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 you know, feel out, um, where he's going to feel at home. Uh, not again, not that he has a say at the end of the day. So that, that's sort of the, the, the crux of what I wrote was that, you know, there's this very momentous opportunity here. No Ohio state quarterback has ever gone. Number one, Arch Schleister went fourth. That's the highest and the highest state quarterbacks ever been selected. So he'll probably be the highest one to ever be selected, regardless of whether he goes number one, because it'll probably be number two or three. If, if at the least, I would think if he doesn't go one, but, if, but he understands the significance of one. And after, you know, not winning a national championship, after not winning the Heisman, then to, I think it would mean something to him to have that on his um, life story to say, I was the number one overall pick. But he's not really campaigning for it either, other than with the way he's playing. So, and, and again, not, 
we don't want to read into into what the Panthers are doing incorrectly. Just was checking on Twitter. Like the Panthers are the whole group yep. that was in mm-hmm. Columbus all flew to Tuscaloosa. They took CJ out to dinner on Tuesday night. They're taking Bryce Young out to dinner mm-hmm. on Wednesday night. So they're giving Bryce Young and CJ Stroud the same attention here. And then Albert Breer is reporting that they're going to do the same thing and go to Kentucky's pro day to do the same thing with Will Levis. So the Panthers being here is not, they're going to take CJ Stroud. The Panthers being here is this is a huge thing for this franchise and they're doing all the work and they're bringing everybody all together to do all the work. And I, my guess would be they don't know for sure yet, because I think when people talked about last year, not last year, two years ago, and it was a little bit different when the Niners traded up to number three. And I think people reported initially in the moment they might have traded up for Mac Jones. And then in the end, they end up taking Trey Lance. And it's like, listen, man, we're trading up for a quarterback. But then you go through the process. And even if you think you're trading up for Bryce Young, maybe CJ Stroud can trade your mind. Or you think you're trading up for CJ Stroud, maybe Bryce Young can change your mind. So, Stephen, they don't know right now. This is big. And these meetings, because again, Face of the franchise, it's two jobs when you're a quarterback. One is be the quarterback. One is be face of the franchise. There's not another job in sports that's equivalent. You have to be both, especially at number one. So who you are as a person, how you handle all those kind of things, the type of leader you are, that matters to their decision. So it's just interesting to do. But again, in the end, Stephen, like the idea that like CJ put his best foot forward, I don't, I think everybody would, this was C.J. Stroud, man. He he throws a pretty football, man. And then if C.J. Stroud's having dinner with you, we just said he's like a nice, normal guy to talk to. But it also seemed like he ripped it pretty well on the workout. I thought his workout – I thought he really helped himself both here in the combine with whether it was you know talking with people or just the throwing. Because, I mean, Bryce Young didn't throw at the combine, which, I mean, I don't – he didn't hurt himself by not throwing, but CJ could only have maybe hurt himself by throwing at the combine. The receivers, he didn't really know that well. And he was almost, I mean, he made the all combine team. He was the talk of the combine with the way he threw there. And then he just brought that to Columbus with receivers. He did know very well. And with a workout that was, I had all types of variety in it. I mean, it was stuff, some of the stuff we know CJ to do. They got him out on the move. And when you say pretty ball, some of them were just throwing dots. And then the other ones were like, showing all the different ways he can manipulate his arm to throw a ball in a way that maybe we didn't see as much while he was at Ohio State because they didn't need him to do all of that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, good month for CJ, I guess, and, and you know, maximizing his value as a draft prospect. But then also just to throw – I know the, the Stroud, Young, Levisting will be back-to-back-to-back days, but also Anthony Richardson, Florida's is, is, is on March 30th, so they'll probably do the same thing with Anthony, yep. Anthony Richardson as well as they do their due diligence. As you said, Nathan, I think it's got to be Stroud or Young. I don't think – one, you can't take the same kind of risk. I don't you think just so. just can't. There's, there's too much certainty, I think, with, with CJ and Bryce, and they both have upside as well. So I, I do think it will boil down to that. Uh, just in, in just talking to people – I just was saying hello to CJ's mom and, and just talking about like the way CJ grinds and stuff. She said, I don't, it was either Tuesday night or Monday night. She said like she FaceTimed him or something like at midnight. And he was like going through the throws that he was going to make at pro day and like double checking the route tree and the things he wanted to do. And it's just like, the guy is like a maniac. So, you know, I just thought in the end, right, Nathan, like it was whatever pro day is supposed to be. CJ Stroud did what he's supposed to do. 
But I also think, like, one of the things when you watch C.J. Stroud in an environment like this, you notice that when he plays a football game, too, but especially in an environment like this, is how casual it seems. Like, he's so relaxed. He's so loose back there. And I think that's something that's going to appeal to teams. It's something Ryan Day brought up when he was talking about why he thought it was such a good performance. He called it as good a workout as he's ever seen going back to Matt Ryan at Boston College, going back to the ones that he went to when he was an NFL uh, quarterbacks coach with the Eagles and 49ers, uh, assuming he went to some back then. Like it's, it, he, So he thought it was that good. But I'm, I was just struck by that, like just how effortless things always seem with CJ. But, it's, but it has that behind it at all times. It's all been thought out and processed and planned out to the nth degree and then he shows up and it looks like just California chill. Like he's just hanging out, man. But it, there's a lot more that goes into it than that. So a good day for CJ Stroud. I did a mock draft. What is it? Who knows? The whole world does a mock draft. May as well throw your name in the ring. And I, I do have CJ going to one to Carolina just from the day we were there at the combine. Nathan, I just felt, I just thought Indianapolis and Carolina with a lot of the things they have in place were the best fits for him. And then Carolina is the one that jumps from nine to one to make that a reality. So Jackson Smith and Jigba, even a bigger day for him. He did run his 40, Nathan, and it's one of these things I will tell you. And I said this to the texters, man, back in my day, (laughs) you were chasing scouts into the parking lot, begging for 40 times. And I think this was the first time Ohio State ever did it. They just sent the whole list of all the results. They do that before or is this new this year? They didn't do it last year, I don't I think. I don't believe, since I've been here, that they've done that. Well, yeah. They sure as heck didn't do it before you got here. They definitely Why? didn't do it. They didn't even do it last year because last year I was – they had us – by the way, this year we were stationed in a corner this whole time. Last year we got to mingle mm-hmm. more during the actual event, and I was yeah. on – I'm going to admit to this on a couple of occasions, and maybe this is why we got stuck in the corner, trying to surreptitiously take a photo of a – scout or whatever gm's clipboard that was facing maybe out towards me to see if i could just pull some kind of number off of there because we were really grasping for straws you'd have to go ask the players and sometimes they'll tell you but mm-hmm. sometimes they won't because they don't like the number that they ran so uh yeah this was this was very nice and and jackson ran an official 448 the first number that was coming out that i i got from somebody on the team and i think maybe came from um, just somebody on the side on the, one of the um, NFL network people, maybe it was four, five, three, and that's only five hundredths of a second difference. It's a very small difference, but you definitely want to be on that side of four five, as opposed to the other side of four five. Not that it is the entirety of his case, but I think everybody, every receiver sees a, every, every, every player sees a difference between being in the four fours and being in the four fives. Guys, I, I did not talk to Jackson to one of you guys Were you in the next yeah. What did he times. say? How did he feel, Stephen? Was he happy with what he did? Yeah. The, the 40 was more just in talking with him and then also talking with his father about some of this stuff to prove he could run it. Some of that is that, especially when you're coming off a hamstring situation. Can you just run the 40? And then what you do from that, you just kind of work off of that. And that's why it's the reason he only did it once because he, he did get asked, why did you only run it the one time? Because I only needed to run it one time. I didn't need to do it any more than that. Uh, he had, he, they had, just before the official numbers had come out, he had been hearing anything from 447 to 452. Uh, his goal was 447, so he wanted to be on that side of 45 uh, just because he felt like that 
in com- that in combination with what he did at the combine, showing off that quickness and those shuttle drills and those cone drills, which is actually more valuable for a guy like in a slot, it proved his point. And this today in the in the combine in general, this month has been almost his Super Bowl because he missed the entire year and he's been kind of working back to get to this moment. I know he talked about the combine, how he had just gotten healthy within a few weeks before the combine had happened. So being able to show people that he is back to being the Jackson Smith and Jigba we saw, especially at the end of last season and there's full goal. There's no questions about him, the route running, all the stuff that made him who he was at the end of the 21 season, all that stuff is back and in full effect. And he felt like that got accomplished today. From just reading and following the draft scrutiny and hearing some questions he got at the combine, I think there was questions about his top end speed or like his long speed, mm-hmm. as they might call it. And I think he just had to show he wasn't slow today. Like he wasn't slow. <laughs> he came in so like, okay, I'm not running a burner time, but I'm not slow. And you, in, in conjunction with those other numbers that he put up at the combine, I thought what he ran today was fine. And we all along the way have viewed Jordan Addison from USC sort of as his like direct competition. And Jackson just was much bigger than Jordan Addison at the combine, taller and heavier. USC had its pro day on Tuesday. Jordan Addison did not run again, but he ran a 4.49 at the combine. Right. Mm-hmm. So Jackson ran a 4.48 at Ohio State, and he's bigger and thicker than Jordan Addison. So I do think that is helpful. Typically, you're a little faster on your home track than you are at the combine, but it's not like so to to me Jordan Addison has to be somewhat significantly faster than Jackson cuz Jackson's just more physical and that's not the case. Back in the day at Ohio State, back before they redid everything, they actually had a strip of separate turf in the woody that was flattened like a like the turf you'd have on your back patio. It was basically green concrete, and they'd run the 40 on that. And Ohio State times on pro day would be like 0.2 faster than the combine. I was like, oh, my gosh, how'd that guy get so much faster? It's like, dude, wait till you see the 40 track. So it's not that anymore. But still, often you run a little faster. But but the bottom line is Jackson did what he had to do. He he goes out there and drops a 4.6. It's maybe not going to be great. It's maybe going to affect questions. the evaluation if he's slow. He wasn't slow. So I think he did what he needed to do. And so then Steven overall, like good vibe off Jackson. Again, this was his Super Bowl, but generally, because again, he's running routes, catching balls from CJ, all that kind of stuff. He thought it was a good day. Yeah, good day. The only the 40 was literally probably the only question anybody had. And that's is he slow? No, he's not slow, but also he can just get through this. And now there's if you had any questions still maybe lingering that the hammy might still be an issue, that's not the case anymore. So, yeah, I think they both, they all, him, him and his family all walked away pretty happy with what the day was today. The mock draft I did Wednesday morning, I had Jackson Smith and Jigba 11th to Tennessee. And so while he was running his 40, I had my eyes on Mike Rabel, former Buckeye, who was the head coach of the Tennessee Titans. And as Jackson ran by, Mike Rabel crossed his arms, raised his eyebrows, and looked. No, he didn't. He didn't have any reaction at all. I was like, oh, one, could this be? It's like, no, he's just, Mike Rabel's like, yeah, guy ran. What, am I, what do you want me to do? You want me to jump up and down? I'm not a sitcom dad, Doug. I'm just, a, I'm just here on a business trip evaluating people. So there's a lot of good fits for Jackson. My guess would be he will be the first receiver drafted. It's not a guarantee, I don't think, if, if you just want a bigger guy in Quentin Johnston. But I think... I think he has a really good chance to be 
the first receiver off the board. So then let's talk about another guy that we think is going to be drafted really high, and that's Paris Johnson. Nathan, I know you talked to Paris at least a little bit at the end. What was the vibe from Paris? Was it a good day for him? Yeah, I mean, he didn't really do a lot today. I mean, he did some of the, the the blocking stuff. It was, I think, it was fun for both him and Luke Whipler to get back out there together and 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 bash each other a little bit and and have some fun <clears throat> before they kind of part ways. And and you know, two guys leaving after the third year, and as we talked about before, you know, coming at it from from different angles. But but yeah, I think this was a day of like he was one of the ones that I really felt like that graduation vibe from. Um, he was, you know, talking about, he's going to get to go to Kansas city. He's been invited there to be there for the draft. He's going to take, uh, Greg's to draw with him along with Justin Fry. So he's gonna have both of his offensive line coaches there. And it's that both guys who helped him get to this point. He thought that was important that both of those guys be involved in a, a night like that. And it's an important night for Ohio state, uh, for what Justin Fry wants to do with this room going forward uh, to have an Ohio state tackle on, on a stage like that. So, uh, you know, he had, had already done some good things at the combine. I think as we talked before, there's uh, I, I have talked to people who are, are big bears fans who love Peter Skaronsky. They don't care how short his arms are, I, but both those guys are great offensive linemen. I think they're both going to be good offensive linemen in the NFL and uh, Paris, I think has done everything he can do to make his case to be that number one guy. Ryan Poles, the GM of the Bears, was there. And I was watching him as Paris Johnson was going through his blocking drills. And Ryan Poles had a lollipop in his mouth. And as Paris Johnson started his drills against Luke Whipler, he pulled the lollipop out of his mouth and what? No, he didn't. He just watched like a normal person. <laughs> I just, I won all these moments. You don't get it. But it's like, hey, the Bears traded the number one pick. Why are they here? It's like, well, because they have a lot of guys to look at. And frankly, Peter Skaronsky is certainly in their mix. They send a million, you know, Northwestern's right down the road. They sent a million people to Northwestern's pro day a week ago. The Bears did. The Bears really, they could have a choice of Jackson Smith and Jigba, Paris Johnson, and Peter Skaronsky at nine, which is where they are now after the trade with Carolina. They got DJ Moore in the deal from Carolina, who looks like a number one receiver. They traded a second round pick for Chase Claypool last year. That's a lot of investment in the receiver position. Yeah. So you think, okay, maybe at nine, then they wouldn't invest receiver. But I keep thinking about what the Bengals did a couple years ago at number four, where they had a choice of Jamar Chase or Panay Sewell, receiver or tackle. And it's like, which way are you going to go? Both make sense. They go receiver. And it's like, oh, yeah, they went receiver. So my guess would be the Bears go tackle there. But yeah. in in looking at stuff, well, I went I went back to since Orlando Pace was the number one pick in the draft in 97. The last 26 years. A tackle has gone in the top 10, 21 of the last 26 years. So then I think you've got to think Paris or Skaronsky or maybe both are going in the top 10. But if you're doing a mock draft, you've got to have a tackle in the top 10. It's just where the league has gone. And I think, you know, th this isn't quite, you know, Jake Long going number one. But I think there are two guys on the board at tackle that are worthy from a talent standpoint, and we know the positional value is there. So my guess is Paris has a very good chance to go in the top 10, and maybe Skaronsky, maybe they both wind up there. Okay, we'll take a last little break. A couple more guys we want to talk about, what we learned, what mattered from Pro Day. We'll do all that next on Buckeye Talk. All right, so Dewan Jones, 
did not do much. Did not do much. Is that right, Nathan? No, he again. He had done um, uh, a lot of stuff at the combine. Like he he had done the heavy lifting. Uh, no pun intended. At the the Senior Bowl, and then by pretty much being a, a full participant in a lot of things at the combine. He even ran the forty at the combine, as as we saw, um, and as you may have felt as far away as Columbus. So um, he, he he had already put himself in in good position there. Yeah, he he also didn't get weighed. That was, and he didn't give a reason for that when he got asked about that either. But he basically just took measurements: height, weight, height, hand, arm length, wingspan, and I'm done. Yeah. Which is all stuff he, from from the combine too. Yeah, he stood on his weight. I think someone was asking, like Mike Tomlin was giving him a hard time about not getting weighed or whatever. Mike mm. Tomlin was saying, like, "Oh, you're too good to get weighed." Because tell you what. You go to mockdraftdatabase.com. You know where people are mocking Dewan Jones? 17 to the Steelers, which seems a little wild to me. You'll also see a lot of Kansas City at 32 yep. for Dewan Jones. And as we like to do here on Buckeye Talk, we like to take the podcast directly to the people. I did tell Dewan Jones that I'm trying to get people to bet me that he's going to be a first-round pick, that I am taking. I am willing to house that bet. And I, is it a good bet? He's like, yeah, no, I think that's a good bet. So I projected him at 28 to the Bengals, which I think could make sense. The Bengals signed a left tackle. That means they're going to have to move Jonah Jackson, their left tackle, to right tackle. Jonah Williams doesn't seem too happy about that and has asked for a trade. And there are mm-hmm. reports that the Bengals have engaged in those trades. So I do think if they end up trading Jonah Williams, who was like a top 15 pick a couple of years ago out of Alabama before the draft, that really opens up what could happen at right tackle for them. But even if not, it's like one of these things, it's a good team without, well, they'd lost both their safeties, but they, they maybe don't have as many glaring needs. Once you get to the good team, they can just take good players. So I, I really do think DeWan's going to go in the first round. And so he didn't do much. At pro day, which means nothing changed for him, Nathan. Which means maybe he'll go in the first round. Well, no, but I asked him like, "In how's this been for you? Because you've really have helped yourself in every way. I mean, I think this pre-draft process has gone about as well as he could have expected, other than not being able to finish the Senior Bowl, only having the one workout there. But in other ways, it's like you got in there, you made a big splash, and then you you got out it wasn't your choice but like you you made a a big impact there you went to the combine i think you uh exceeded some expectations for people there or at least opened people's eyes who may have looked at a sheet of of paper and said like 300 and what how many pounds and then they watch you run you're like oh actually that looks pretty smooth can this guy play so i he's done uh, everything has kind of fallen in order i think for him and now it's just a matter of uh, the right team needing the right fit. I, I have a friend who covers the Steelers. I talked to him at the combine. He was sort of speculating like, you know, maybe, you know, the Steelers have like, they pick it like 42. Maybe that could be where, you know, they could take a, they could take a shot at Dewan Jones there. And I'm like, I don't know, man. And it seems like less and less and less likely he would still be on the board there. All right. Steven, I know you talked with Zach Harrison, right? And mm-hmm. this was a day for Zach Harrison that he, um, had a little tweak at the combine. What what did we feel like Zach Harrison's day was on Wednesday? Position drills. Didn't run a 40. Got asked why he didn't run the 40. He said reasons. He didn't really give a reason. He just didn't <laughs> run the 40. But 
<laughs> but you know, I guess if you don't want to give us a reason, that's cool, man. But uh, you did tell um, my counterparts here that you were going to put on a show, and then we didn't see the show. Uh, but you did do position drills. I, I think I w- the thing. I think the interesting thing with Zach Harrison has been is the best football is still ahead of him, and I think that's a generic way to put it because, of course, he's going to say yes because he's trying to get drafted. But I kind of went into depth with him over on the side by myself, and we had a conversation about guys like Terry McLaurin. Um, you know, Jerome Baker, guys who had decent Ohio State football careers, but nothing in a way that would say the things they're doing now or ended up doing in the NFL make any level of sense. And I threw that idea at him and he agreed with me on that idea. And part of the reason why is his entire college football career has been learning how to actually play football. This is a guy that you look at him from a physical standpoint, he looks like a first round pick. He looks like a top 15 pick, quite honestly, just the physical makeup that he is. He's like six, six, 270 pounds with arms as long as you can, as long as you can think about, but he had no idea what he was doing with it when he got here. And it took him a while to understand that, okay, I actually have to learn how to play football. And this is going to be a little bit of a process and he's still learning how to play football. So there's a version of Zach Harrison that exists two, three years down the line when that light does finally come on because he actually knows what he's doing and knows what good Zach Harrison football looks like. And that's something he's still looking to explore. And I think a lot of teams, at least that he's talked to, he was talking about how a lot of those teams are intrigued by that idea of he's not necessarily a project, but he is a guy that they know that year two and three might really have a payoff. That's good. I hope it goes that way for Zach Harrison. A guy that wasn't at the combine that when we got the sheet with the numbers, I was kind of like, what? Tanner McAllister ran faster than Jackson Smith and Jigba. He did more bench press reps than Mitch Rossi when Mitch Rossi weighs 55 pounds more than he does. And 22 bench press reps for a safety would have been tied for the fourth best at the combine among safeties who bench press at the combine. And 444, I didn't know that I Katana McAllister ran that fast. So I don't know, Nathan, like these, that's some strength and some speed and a guy who has a lot of tape between Oklahoma State and Ohio State. I don't know that he was spectacular this year, but I think he was pretty good more often than not. Makes me wonder if Tanner McAllister will be one of these guys, and it happens every year where you don't get invited to the combine, but you wind up getting drafted because it felt like Wednesday was good for him. And uh, a 10-3 broad jump also really, I mean, it shows some explosiveness. That's a good number for uh, really any position, but for safety. So, no, I, I was the same as you. And I, I had we had so many guys to try to follow today that he slipped through the cracks for me a little bit. But I, I watching him run the 40, you're like, oh, that looks pretty good. But what do you know from just the naked eye? And and that stood up as the, the best time of the day for Ohio State. So I don't know if he opened eyes enough that somebody will take a late round flyer on him or not even really a flyer. If somebody will see that kind of value or if it's more of a Justin Hilliard situation, he signed a, a pretty good uh, undrafted free agent contract like right after the draft because the 49ers had seen him through the process and saw value there. So I, it seems like there would be a place on NFL roster for someone like this or at least for him to get a good shot. Now it's just a matter of where does he fit positionally in the NFL. 
Yeah, it's just funny. I mean, it's just a comparison that we have right here. Cam Brown, as a corner, did get invited to the combine. Tanner McAllister, as a safety slot guy, did not get invited. They both did everything at Pro Day. Tanner McAllister, better broad jump than Cam Brown, better vertical jump than than Cam Brown, better three-cone drill for agility than Cam Brown, ran a 4-4-4. Cam Brown ran a 4-5-3. And uh, on the bench press, Tanner McAllister did 22. Cam Brown did 10. Cam Brown weighed in at 197. Tanner McAllister weighed in at 191. So, like, in every aspect, size, strength, speed, agility, Tanner McAllister measured up better than Cam Brown, and Cam Brown got a combine invite. And this was like Cam Brown was going to have to run fast. And I know we talked about that, Nathan, like 4-5-3 yeah. for Cam Brown, like, is not that fast. No, and it's too bad because I think there's at some point in his life, I think he's run some fun numbers. And it, you don't know how much the injuries and things that maybe taking a toll on that. And he just wasn't able to do that uh, with McAllister. The word that I, I come back to is explosiveness. I think that inside those numbers, scouts, GMs, whatever, are going to see some signs of explosiveness. And he was a playmaker in a limited way for Ohio state. I thought this past year, he also encountered some injuries that got, I think held him back at times. He played through those injuries in a couple games, I thought, and, and held up pretty well. So, uh, again, if you're just looking for a guy who can find a spot on a roster, maybe you're not a starter in the NFL, but you can hang on a roster in the NFL. Um, there, there already was reason because you know when Jim Knowles came here, he was surprised. He said to learn that Tanner McAllister was interested in coming here rather than going the NFL draft last year. So he saw some of those signs apparently, and they showed up again today. Now we're at the point of the podcast where I'm just looking at hand measurements. <laughs> Teron Vincent's hand measured nine inches. This is always a thing that happens when they measure the quarterback's hands. It's like, oh, guy's got tiny hands. Nine. I'm not saying nine inches is tiny for Teron Vincent. Nine. And uh, Dewan Jones was 11 and five eighths. And like, those are like two big people. But yeah. that's the difference between like normal big and Dewan Jones big. Okay. Steven, what else did we not cover? What else were vibes? What else were conversations you had? What else were people there? What else do we need to tell people about Pro Day? Yeah, I think we ran through the list of the people who actually did stuff at Pro Day. Uh, Ronnie Hickman didn't necessarily do anything at the Combine, to my recollection. Is that true? But then also he didn't do anything at the Pro Day as well. That um, I think that's to the point of guys getting a Combine invite. It would seem as if, to bring up the Tanner McAllister thing, he could have used that to possibly, I mean, maybe he gets drafted, maybe he doesn't. But I feel like if you would have combined what maybe he would have done at the Combine, now that we know what his numbers are here, mixed with he probably would have done all this stuff again here, that's a guy who could sneak up into the sixth round just based off of those numbers alone and how you guys just talked about him. While with Ronnie Hickman, I feel like this is a guy just off his tape is maybe a fourth-round pick. And I'm not really sure where you go with that because I don't know if he helped or hurt himself by not doing much during this this entire like you know evaluation process here. It is hard because when you don't get the combine invite, then the pro day becomes your everything, right? This is almost like your last best chance to be like, hey, don't forget about me. So for the non-combine invites and primarily for Ohio State, that was Tana McAllister and Teron Vincent, Teron Cage also in there. Bradley Robinson, the long snapper, some other guys like that. But it's just a different world where once you go to the combine, you just have a lot more opportunities to do that kind of stuff. Um, I did just think in the end, 
and Nathan, I know you wrote about it. It it really it, if CJ Stroud's going to go in the top five, at the lowest, Seattle remains interesting to me. Like if he he's not going to fall because if he starts to fall, even a slight bit, which would mean he doesn't go one, he doesn't go two, and I think the only scenario for that is Carolina goes Bryce Young, which would just be back to what everybody thought when this whole process started, which is Bryce Young is going to be the number one pick. And then I retain the idea of could the Texans who are starting over with the new head coach and a bunch of picks just absolutely swing upside with Anthony Richardson. That's Mm -hmm. the only way CJ Stroud doesn't go in the top two. And then it would be on to me because Arizona has the third pick right now and they're not taking a quarterback. And so now you get in a situation where Indy at four, Seattle at five, anybody else who wants to get in the mix is maybe trying to jump up to three to trade up to get CJ Stroud. That's where I think the low, and if somehow that doesn't happen, then the Colts are taking him at four. Mm -hmm. So he's, he's not going to fall, right? There's not going to be a fall here, but the idea of like him being the number one pick again, like this would be, this is history for Ohio state. Like we, the, you know, just having Dwayne Haskins go in the first round, was a big deal a couple years ago. And to have the overall number one ticket quarterback would just be sort of a ground shaking thing, I think, Nathan. And at this point, Ryan Day in that offense, Jackson Smith and Jigben, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave and Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Buka and all the guys around him, catching balls from him, Paris Johnson and Thayer Munford and Nicholas Petit Frere and Dewan Jones and Luke Whippler and everybody who blocked for him and everything CJ did, all the work he put in, all the skills that he showed, it feels like everybody's done everything they can do. And now the Panthers just have to make a decision. And so this was like the last best day of that. I think that should be a celebration of that. But man, right? In a world where, hey, you're trying to sell yourself. Because here's the other thing that I think was a reminder here. What Ohio State does best right now is what the NFL really cares about, which is like it's a passing league and Ohio State is a passing place. And that's why they all showed up for this. So Ohio State, I think from a development standpoint and a recruiting standpoint, there's stuff they can do better in the secondary right now. There's stuff they can do better at linebacker. There's stuff they can do better at running back. There's stuff they have to get rolling again and recruiting on the offensive line. But what they do best really draws a crowd. And in the end, we we will double check this before the draft. We'll have the information. There is a chance that Ohio State will have the first guy taken at each of the three most important offensive positions. They might have the first quarterback. They might have the first tackle. And they might have the first receiver. And I don't know if that's ever been done. And if that happens, Nathan, holy moly, get the graphics department on alert. Like that is the encapsulation of, hey, man, this is how we do it. So every other position group at Ohio State can learn from that. Offensive line's got to back up what Paris and Dewan and Luke are doing right now. But this that's part of why I was so like, hey, man, look at all these people. Because it, that's not what it's about. It's about winning games. They're there to win a title, and they haven't done that since 2014. But the way they're trying to win a title, man, sure attracts a crowd. Two things. Number one, it's it's got to be incredibly bittersweet to hear for Ohio State fans to hear you say that, especially when you consider that the receiver that you're talking about of those three didn't get to play this past year. And like what? Because that'll always linger. If they do that, if they do that, if they have those the three and nobody's maybe ever done it before, then that's going to be like, how did that team 
not win something. How did that team not even win a Big Ten championship? Uh, but there's obviously circumstances. There'll be perspective for that. Um, the second thing, though, I was reminded of a question that I asked Ryan Day, and I was trying to find the article and couldn't find it because it's been a few years now. But after the after the 2020 draft, like right after the 2020 draft, we had a Zoom call with Ryan Day. Do you guys remember this? I was even living in another apartment across town. Mm-hmm. And I asked him the at QB the time. Yeah, I asked him, you know, you want to be QBU, but how much does the NFL draft factor into that? And he said, absolutely. It's we definitely we want to have first round quarterback draft picks. And they had already done it with Haskins. They were two years removed from that, one year removed from the draft, and then followed it up with Fields. So they went from what fifteen to eleven, and now you're taking a jump. Now you're going all the way up, and and that's very dependent on who else is in that class and and who's drafting where and all that stuff. But to to get, I think there are two ways that they they judge these things. One of them is the most important thing, which is the winning on the field. I think CJ Stroud would say that. I think Ryan Day would say that like they wanted to be in Los Angeles this year, winning that national championship. And it, it burns them that they weren't, but for the pro the health of the program there, it, it you do get measured on your ability to produce NFL star players. And regardless of what CJ Stroud then does with his career, if you go number one overall as a quarterback in the NFL draft, your program benefits from that. And I think, Yes, Dwayne and Justin had done it, but this is Day's first guy. They recruited him, they developed him from scratch, and now they're sending him out the door, and he might be the number one pick in the job. I mean, we kind of had this conversation with Lincoln Riley. It's like, yeah, he had done it with these transfers, and they you kudos to that every single time, but the first time it was like his guy that he went and picked and recruit, recruited and developed from scratch – it didn't go that well with Spencer Rattner. Now, obviously, Caleb Williams is writing that shit very quickly here, so that's in the past now. But with Day, his first guy is through the door in a first-round draft pick, which kind of validates and stamps all of that stuff that he had been talking for a couple of years here. And really kind of the same thing with Jackson Smith the Jigba. I know his his last year here got kind of wonky, but that's Hartline's first guy as the official wide receivers coach that he went and found before he was a – five-star recruit he was like a three-star kid in texas who was just catching a lot of passes and brian hartline identified that guy and then watched him rise up through the rankings and now he might be leaving out of here as a well, he's probably a clear first rounder at this point after the way he's tested the only asterisk or if anything the only what could have been is there is yes we didn't get you know jackson smith the jigba for the third year to see him and cj put together what they did in the rose bowl basically for 15 games uh, CJ never beating Michigan or winning a Big Ten championship, but also to the point of the tackle conversation, we got one year of Paris Johnson, the tackle, in a situation where potentially he might be the first tackle taken off of the board. So the, all three, for this being Day's first full uh, recruiting class, as special as it's going to be in stamping what this program is under Ryan Day, there's also so many what ifs and what could have been in different scenarios had some things gone differently. And along those lines, it's it's a very interesting point. And then we have plenty of time to get into this more. But I looked up the stuff now. If Dewan goes in the first round, that'll be four first-rounders. There's only been three times in Ohio State history where they've had as many as four first-round picks. And all three of them are the culmination of like tremendous recruiting classes. The first one is 1971. It's the Supersofts going pro. The second one is the O... Six draft after the 05 season, which was like that first 
trestle like gathering of talent. It's the AJ Hawk, Bobby Carpenter, Nick Mangold, Dante Whitner, Santonio Holmes. They weren't all necessarily in the same class, but it was like a gathering of thing. And they were all really young guys in 02, but they really built up to something. And then the third is they had four first round picks in 2016 with the Joey Bosa, Ezekiel Elliott, Darren Lee, and uh, Eli Apple, that recruiting class, right? And so this could be the fourth time in Ohio State history of having four or more first round picks, but it's not the same kind of like cohesive collection of like what is, it's more scattered a little bit. Now, CJ and Jackson are clearly linked, right? But then it's like, mm-hmm. oh, this guy, this this guy ranked in the thousands who came in and then this guy only played tackle for one year and then Jackson. And it is that you sort of didn't get the bang for, you didn't get the winning out of the NFL-ness of that guys, which will always be something that is remembered with this group of guys. And there's multiple reasons for it, including Michigan being really good, but that's just the reality um, that we're in with that situation. But it, it has a chance to be a, a pretty darn remarkable Ohio State draft class in 2023. Okay, that'll wrap it up for now. You're listening to this on Thursday. On Thursday, we will be back at Ohio State talking to offensive linemen and defensive linemen. We expect to get a lot of them. We'll talk to Justin Fry. We'll talk to Larry Johnson. We'll have a lot to bring you guys. And at cleveland.com slash OSU, you can go there and read all the stuff that we wrote off Pro Day. So keep that in mind. And also we texted stuff out during Pro Day. If you want to be a tech subscriber, 614-350-3315. For now, on behalf of Nathan Baird and Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>